All right. I would like to welcome Kyle Dobbs to the podcast. And um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were just starting here and we were talking about our, our uh, childhood trauma of having our big ears made fun of. And now Kyle's ears are disappearing on the, on this video broadcast. They're getting swallowed by the gravitational field of earth. I think that I'm looking at Asia maybe behind, it's hard to know what continent I'm looking at behind you. Uh, it's unknown really, but there's definitely some metropolitan sites featured with a night scene and some really bright lights. It's, it's breathtaking. You can see the lights. It, it sparkles is yeah. what I like to describe it. When uh, every now and then we'll get it hooked up on one of our group calls where Matt has the same background, but we flip it. So it looks like a butt. Nice. It's a, nice. <laughs> it's, nice. A, Which, it's actually, it's a nice visual at that point. So like I'm looking over your right shoulder where your name is. And yeah. that's like the, I would guess the middle. So it kind of, I would, yeah. I would think that he would be, over to the left side of my screen to create the button. Yes. Yes. It takes a little bit of planning. Like one of us has to log on before the other. I got to make somebody a co-host sometimes. Well worth it. Well worth it. This is what we've done in uh, three years of zoom calls at this point is we've, we've mastered that. You know, as for me, as a, uh, you know, a more recent father of a boy than you, you know, there are certain things that you just see are inherent to being male and that probably are just there right away and never go away. And anytime you can create dick, ass, fart jokes, they're always great. They always will be great. To me, farts are the, they're like God's gift of humor to us because they're the funniest noise that the body makes. They come out of the funniest part of the body. They smell bad. There's just nothing that's not funny about them. And people that don't think farts are funny, I really question everything about those people. It's, like They're never not funny. And, and like you said, it's the earliest age possible. They're yeah. Like, I mean, it's, you'll see a, like a one-year-old that can't even talk will fart and start laughing. Like, I mean, it just, it happens, right? You know, and, because it's awesome. It, it really is. I, I honestly feel bad for adults that, that I don't know, they, they, they try to make it not funny. They try to deny the hilarity of it. And yeah. at that point, is, what are you living for? They've really lost their humanity. <laughs> they really <laughs> have. So, you know, with this is a solid intro here. We're going to really get into some high level shit. This is going to be good. Uh, so... You know, I would love for you to to introduce yourself. I know you've done a bunch of these. It gets to the point where you're like, yeah, you know. But look, like I think it's it's kind of uh, industry standard that there's some sort of an introduction here. We'll, we'll do we'll do the the shorter ones. So I am. Uh, I like to think of myself. We kind of talked about this earlier, but I'm like the quintessential got bullied as a kid turned that into being the best athlete possible through my younger years, and then. <laughs> turn that into being kind of an overachieving, but often injured college athlete who never did anything in sports, but figured out he loved training and the human body and turned into a coach. And like, it's the most stereotypical story probably in our field. Um, But that's me, you know, and I I think that's, um, I think it is a powerful story. Uh, You know, the people that I've come in contact that kind of have that background, 
um, they really love this shit. And I, I, I appreciate that about them. They didn't just kind of fall into it because nothing else worked out for them. You know, they could have been, they were trying to choose, you know, coming from New York, you know, the story it's like, well, do I want to be like a, a subpar model or a, a, a bartender or a trainer, right? It's like, pick one, you know? So it's the, the people that kind of come from that store, I feel like uh, are in it because they really enjoy the process of training and they're intrigued by the process of training. Um, and, and that's kind of me. I've been in the industry now for, gosh, almost 16 years. Um, so I started as a coach right out of school um, after my super senior year. I was one of those guys also, uh, and moved straight to New York. Um, and, and my girlfriend, now wife, uh, got a job in fashion and we decided kind of what the hell and, and moved out there and had an adventure and had no money, no nothing, no plan. Um, and which basically created a massive sense of urgency and fear in me that I had to work mass off and, and get really good at training really quickly. And, and when I say good, I mean successful more so than probably good at that point. Um, but I had to become successful in it and did a lot of sessions, got burned out on just training over the next seven or eight years, got into management and education and ended up kind of going that route for a few years. And, and that's where I eventually left the, the box gym world and arrived at, at peak. And that's where I met you, you know, and a bunch of other great coaches and kind of had, it was that experience for me of, uh, jumping into a bigger pool and it was great. Um, and it definitely kind of led to the second half of my professional career where I've been more so in the education development realm, um, but also getting to be kind of a student all over again, which I feel is, um, a really underappreciated experience that, that most people just don't, they don't get, or they don't maybe welcome probably as much as they should. Um, and then after 11 years in New York, um, I kind of just hated all of it. And (laughs) (laughs) we, uh, we moved back to the Midwest, you know, that the kids were getting older at that point. And it was just more and more unrealistic to have the lifestyle that we wanted, um, to be able to do it. We tried moving out to Jersey and living in the burbs. And, um, I found out really quickly that, that no one told us when we made that plan, that now you just get taxed by two States and the city of New York and the government. And, that sucks. And your property taxes really high. So um, yeah, I left that world and kind of moved back to the Midwest, had to figure out what I wanted to do at first. You know, the plan was to kind of open a gym like everybody does. Um, And luckily enough, looking back in hindsight, couldn't find the right real estate deal, (laughs) you know, just couldn't get it, couldn't get it done Um, and started just working remotely. Um, yeah, I, I was cool on Zoom before Zoom was a thing. Like I was, I was doing uh, one-on-one calls, you know, from a mentorship perspective and a group yep. perspective, um, remote coaching, and got to the point where, alone between coaching and mentorship in the group, I was working with about two hundred people, and had to expand out and hire a few people, including Matt and and now Craig and now Dean and Jeb are working with us and. Um, we just also started an app, which we're in pre-launch for, um, looking at that for like August. So now I've got a, a developer on payroll as well and a bunch of other people. So we're, we're busy, um, doing a lot of yeah. different things and kind of right now in a, in a shift as far as what we're doing and what we want to do. Um, 
but it's fun. It's exciting. Um, and, and meanwhile, I'm still trying to get to as many basketball, soccer, swim track practices as possible and going to the science fairs and, and all that shit. And um, it's awesome. Being so, a dad, man. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely the, the one thing that moving allowed me to do is work my professional schedule around those things, which mm-hmm. um, was the best move I ever made for sure. So there's, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. There's like, you know, 10 <laughs> questions all lined up at the door. Everybody's trying to get out first, but um, you know, one of my favorite stories is actually when you told me kind of like when you came to peak, what our they first, started, our first intro, uh, what they, well, our first <laughs> intro is great. But then when you kind of told me what, you know, the upper management wanted you to have to ultimately do, as kind of part of your job, it's pretty yeah. solid. You know, would you mind uh, sort of talking about a little bit about that experience and, and what yeah. they wanted from you with that? It, it's a, it was a weird interview process because I got recruited over Facebook messenger, which should have been my first clue, right? Yeah. It, it, this was, you know, may, maybe not on the up and up. There was no like paper trail or like formal email chain ever really, you know, made but at that point I was so ready to get out of the the box gym world and just like I knew I knew about peak I'd been to seminars there and education there over the years and man on paper it was gonna be I was I was excited about it like I I was definitely pumped about it um and you know the the guy that that recruited me you know I came in to to be the the training director and he he was like well we have this awesome team in place. We've got an education director, a guy named uh, Dr. Pat Davidson. I had no idea who you were. Uh, like I just wasn't in that world at all. And nobody did at that point. I had just been a professor. Yeah. yeah. You, you know? know, and it's like at that point he was like, you, you know, I'm trying to remember the exact wording. Probably not appropriate for, for anything that's, that's PG 13, but this is not a PG 13. Yeah, but, you don't have to be appropriate. It's your but, comfort of how inappropriate you want to be. No, but it's an open-ended level. Yeah. yeah. Uh, basically he was like, you know, he's, he's a wild card and um, we'd like for you to kind of be the liaison between him and the owner, you know, at that point, like I was, I was kind of the middleman uh, between the two of you. And, and I don't know what that makes me. I, I don't know if that makes me like really just likable or maybe not likable. I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know why I was the person Makes for me. that. <laughs> <laughs> Very unlikable. You know, difficult. And I was just like, you know, like, sure, I can, I can do that. I, I think, you know, and I, at, at that point, at that point in my career, I was so kind of sealing out and burnt out and frustrated with the politics of, of where I was in my career that I, like, I would have done it they could have been like, you know, you're going to have to walk across coals to get to your office every day and, and you know, jump in the shark pit. And I would have been like, I, do I get a wetsuit? You know, like whatever, like, sure, sign me up, um, whatever it is. And I would have done it anyway, but, but that was kind of like the opening conversation. I was like, okay, like, I, I think I can do that. I can be like the, the middleman. And I think that was again, part of my career at that point was I had done a lot of Talk, like I, I talked to trainers, I managed trainers, I coached trainers, I educated trainers. And then I could also schmooze it, you know, just enough with, with the up and ups to, to I, I guess, kind of get across what we were trying to get across. And, and that, that was the opening intro. And, you know, it, 
then I, I get there on my first day and I'm kind of taking a tour of the facility and three absolute savages were like working out on the floor and, and I'm, I'm kind of walking around. It's like middle of the day, gym's empty. Like no clients are on the floor. It's trainer time. And I, I go in, I talk to the owner real quick, say hi, meet him for the first time, um, which was also, that was an interesting experience all in all as well. Wankly um, looking through you as if you're not <laughs> really there. Yeah. Just uncomfortable. It's like, hello? Like, yeah. Uh, you maybe know. a couple of bad, weird jokes that you're yeah. like, ah. it, One of those where you, you stick your hand out to shake the hand, but the person never like shakes your hand. So you're awkwardly also standing there with your hand out, like, Sounds about right. Put that back in my pocket, I guess. And, and you know, so hey, the other moving on. Yeah. The, the other guy is, uh, is now touring me through the facility and I'm, I'm watching, you know, these guys train who happen to be yourself and Ethan and Vinny. And he's like, Oh yeah, there's Pat. And I was like, Oh yeah. Awesome. Like in, in my head, in my head, I'm like, they fucking train. This is great. And the, the guy, he's like, he's like, I'm going to go introduce you. I was like, it looks like they're in the middle of a session. I'm happy to, you know, like I'm going to be here for a little bit. Can we just like, I'll say hi afterwards or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. They'll, they'll love to meet you now. That, that was, that was clue number two. Yeah. Uh, I was like, no, no, nobody likes to be interrupted in the yeah. middle of a session, especially you guys are running mass one. I right. think at that point I was like, fucking no. timed. Yeah. Like, you're like, like no. locked in. Bah, 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 bah. Like, <laughs> so I'm trying to talk them out of this. So it ended up being him walking on the floor, me still on that outer ring because I hadn't even stepped onto the floor yet because I was like, no, I fuck like, this no, a bad idea, yeah, this is a terrible read idea. The, read the signs. Is there a worse foot to get off on right now? And, and he like, he interrupts your sessions. He, he turns to introduce me. I'm not even standing there. I'm like 10 feet back. Um, looking just ashamed and embarrassed i'm sure at that point <laughs> and, mortified right and, and it's like you guys are all just looking at me like who is this piece of shit <laughs> and i'm just like fuck. and i knew it like i was just like fuck man like really this is this is how this is gonna this is my this is my first impression but you know what I could tell that you were like, this is fucked up. Like I should like, this is, and I'm like, oh, this guy's got some sick looking tats. He's pretty big. He's pretty muscular. He looks like an athlete. Like he's not, he's like definitely knows that this is inc- like a uh, terrible, terrible. Yeah. Idea. So I was like, all right, all right. I, I, I was aware of that, you know, it was, well, Vinny didn't talk to me for like three months. So <laughs> that, that, now we're good standard Vinny yeah then I had to like I hope Vinny actually listens to this but then I had to go through the whole process of actually getting Vinny to share his google calendar with me so I could try to give him clients and that was an entire like four-week process of going back and forth I'm like dude just share with me (laughs) I just like seriously I'm trying to like plug in things into it and see when you're available I can see him. He was like, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's so direct. Like, why do you want? No, I I don't think so. He was just like, no. It was like, okay, okay. (laughs) Now now he DMs me, like, memes all day long. And I'm just like, I I guess we're good. I guess I'm on the inside now. Once you're in, you're in, man. (laughs) And I'll tell you, like, it really was, like, you talk about an internal culture clash 
that was the place because you kind of had like the all flash, no depth guys. And then you had the all depth, no, no superficial guys. It was influencers before like social media was what it is now. It was like on the cusp of that where it was, yeah, like all flash. And then you'd watch training sessions and you'd just be like, what the fuck is that? And mm-hmm. then there was just a bunch of guys who no one who what knew who they were and they were just awesome. You yeah, know, it's and like, I don't really care who you are, but this dude right here, front squats over <laughs> 400 pounds for reps. I don't care how many followers he has. He's an absolute monster. This is my dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, it was just such an interesting time. And whew, I like okay. So then there was the last meeting Dude, that we I, ever had there. I have actually was... told this story to so many people. Uh, that yeah, might the... have been the most uncomfortable experience. So, like, I think that you know we we don't need to get into the whole thing, but it, it just highlighted like. Man, this is uh, like these are two cultures in the fitness industry that are very opposite from each other. And we're trying to like and I do see this in fitness. We're trying to mash like old school and new school together these days. And it's so weird. You know what I mean? And there is like a bit of an age difference that I think is at play with that. Yeah, I I mean, uh, it's. It it does suck because it had so much potential. You know, oh. it, was, it was definitely something like, but again, it's like I walked in and was, was, you know, told a lot of things. And then like my first, even like the first meeting I had with, you know, the, the ownership and I think it was you and Ethan and then Doug. Right. And we're talking about even just like creating the exercise library for like the pro and nobody's on the same page. And like, people are arguing, it's like, should it be called a squat pattern or a knee dominant lower body? And I'm just like, Oh God, like, this is what we're all fighting about. You know, it was just like, you could tell that there was so much resistance on both sides at that point that it really was, it really was a clash. The, the training staff was definitely like, I had to earn my way into like being accepted by the staff, which I also respected at the same time. Cause I'd had to go through that process before managing different gyms. And, uh, but I, I just, uh, I don't, I don't want to only talk about this. So the other story that I tell people about is, uh, and I'm, I'm curious about this now that you're running a mentorship group. Yeah. Because I see, a, I see you tagged in a lot of stuff now. And I've never seen take the stairs tagged even once by one of the people in your groups on the recommended reading list. Is that a pre-read? Is that, is that yeah, something? It's a, pre-read. it's a pre-read. Yeah. yeah. We, um, I have questions about it that I need written responses to. So just for the, for the audience here, you know, so our very, like, First of all, like, yeah, Kyle and I met at peak performance, which was really supposed to be the next big thing in New York City, you know, and it was almost like, you know, like, so peak performance had prior to this point in time been in men's health, top 10 gym Mm. in the country a couple of times. It had a nationwide reputation. I knew what it was before I came down to New York. Mm. A lot of people, like if you were big time in fitness in New York, you knew what it was. 
I would say and, even any anywhere almost. Like if if you were in fitness and like. 2005 to 2010, 15, like you knew what peak performance was. Yeah, like it was a big deal, you know, and times like things go so fast these days, like nobody remembers it. You know what I mean? See, like it's it's done, it's past. But at the time, it was really supposed to be the next big thing. And on paper, it, it had everything potential to make that happen. It had an investor with unlimited funds. It had an ownership group that had experience. It had C-level employees that had been there and done that in fitness. It had a team of me, you, Doug Kachigian, Ethan Grossman as like the, the basically the fitness and rehab upper tier people. And we had a roster of trainers that was an all-star team. We we really had like the Avengers, you know, Avengers one, New York, Kind of a deal, you know what I mean? And um, so everything seemed great until you get inside of it. And it's like a lot of things. It's pro- it's kind of like that Lakers team that had like Shaq, Kobe, Carl Malone, Gary, <laughs> Gary Payton. Payton. You're like, yeah. these guys can't lose. And they were brutal, okay? Like Phil Jackson coaching it. I guarantee that that locker room was just a disaster. The whole organization was probably a nightmare and it was probably just the most poisonous environment to be in at all points in time. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's how a lot of things, I think, turn out in life. And, you know, I, I've in the past talked a little bit about, like, my views on the story of the Wizard of Oz and how I actually think it's a very strong parable for life as you grow up, mm-hmm. where you're told about this amazing place out in the distance and, like, follow this yellow brick road in life and you're going to reach that place. And... Then when you ultimately meet the wizard, it seems like, oh, what a show. It's incredible. But you pull back that curtain and you're like, oh, man, it's so disappointing. This is it. And so a lot of times, yeah, you kind of go through this whole process in life of like, oh, I've got this great vision of where I want to be. And this is my dream job. And then you're like, man, this thing's held together by like duct tape and bubble gum. And it's really not all I thought it was going to be. And like. You know, if, in life, generally speaking, try not to meet your heroes too many times. You yes. know, it's it's not easy, but that's that's called like growing up and being an adult and like sort of having experience and moving on and figuring things out. And, and I really do see, you know, I remember we, we had this like what you were referring to with Take the Stairs. Like we were required to read this book that was like a fifth grade level book and then talk about it and I was super frustrated self-help book that was yeah I was just like really frustrated because I was like look I have like a like a very important presentation for myself that I'm supposed to give this weekend I really don't want to devote this time towards this book and writing these responses so I took it upon myself to write lengthy very cynical critical responses of the c-level employee that assigned this book and read them out loud at the meeting for about 15 minutes. And at the end of this reading, I looked around and it looked like I had just shot everyone's dog in the head right in front of everyone. And it was just like, and the meeting's over. Okay, bye. And it was like, oh, that was that was a bit much. I probably shouldn't have done that. But then literally the next Monday, the whole thing was under. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it, it, was, was... it was like, oh, by the way, the investor pulled the plug. It's no longer a thing. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and I remember looking at you and I was like, all right, so what's next? Yeah. yeah. And we 
we're in that other the next meeting literally we got called into on a Friday on the typical like Friday afternoon and yep I think it was just me you and Ethan in that meeting with the owner yeah and yeah it was he's telling us it's very emotional for him and again I understand why yeah Yeah, man he just got his whole life unplugged the raft was at the same time we're now all just unemployed <laughs> in, in New York, which there's nothing scarier than being unemployed in New York, honestly. Like that's yep. that's a terrifying. You're like one month away from losing your house. You know, at that point, it's it's a, it's a terrifying proposition. And yeah, you just look at me. He's still talking, and you basically just like gave him the hand and said, "All right, yeah. what are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> and yeah meanwhile, it's like okay, we just broke up. Uh, do you want to? You guys yeah. want to have sex now with you? Yeah. Uh, with you? <laughs> This, you know, this isn't happening over here now. So what about you guys? Like, uh, you, you know, what, what, what do you think? <laughs> it, it was, uh, man, that, that was an experience. And it's funny. You guys were in it for so long. I was probably there eight months. And yeah, I was there for a few years. Ethan was I, there a little bit longer. I, I it was just, like, I, you could tell probably at that point where it was like, well, I'm not even really surprised. And yeah, moving yeah. on, like, yeah. they knew this guy wasn't going to be able to hang. So it's finally, somebody finally just put, did the coup de grace yeah, yeah, to final stroke. Uh, uh, but you're like a good dude. Let's, let's actually, why don't we do something? If this, if this guy could have come this close, we can definitely do it, <laughs> you know? But what I was going to kind of transition to with that is, you know, I look at you and I feel like you're somebody that's always doing it. You know, some people talk the talk. There's a million people that talk the damn talk in this industry but they don't do it. They don't train. They don't diet. They don't actually build their own business. They don't create their own, you know what I mean? But they're super critical. They're going to be critical of everything you do. You know, they'll jump into your page and talk shit and your stuff, but it's like, well, what are you doing, man? Like I'm doing it. So every time I see what you're up to or talk to you, it's like, well, you know what? I'm building a business. We got an app developer, uh, I'm still training, still running fast, still jumping, still lifting heavy, still building muscle, still got an aerobic system. And to me, that speaks worlds about you. So what is it that drives you towards that? Like what, what's, what's the thing? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was actually on a podcast not long ago. We kind of talked about this and I've, I've sat down and actually thought about this a lot of times because I don't understand if I, I don't know if I've always understood, you know, I've just always done it, you know, and I, a lot of that I think is just growing up, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of raised in, in farmland, right? So it's like, I got up and it's like, okay, well, my dad's already up like fucking feeding cows and doing what he's doing before he goes to his real job. And that's just the way people do things, you know, it's, and I kind of had that ingrained within me in a young, young age. And I, by the time I was 10, 11 years old, I was out there helping them at 4am, 5am before the sun came up, before I had to go to school, before I had to go to practices, you know, and that kind of always permeated in, in whatever I did, whether it was something physical or athletic, or even just from a school perspective, you know, I was always driven to I'm, I'm hyper competitive. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the valedictorian of my high school. I wanted to graduate college 4.0. I wanted to, to do all the things while still being able to be a good athlete and, and do those things. And 
Um, honestly, as, as I've looked back and really examined it as much as I could, it came down to the fact that I'm, I'm honestly pretty fucking petty in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, and I mean, it really is, you know, and it's like, I, I, I wish there was a better way to put that that sounded better. I appreciate the honesty, man. But, but it, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, sometimes it's just to fuck you to people, you know, in a lot of ways. And, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about it earlier, like when I was growing up, I was bullied a lot. I was very, very skinny. Like I literally had a size 13 foot when I was like 11 years old. I looked like the Doug cartoon character where my knees like stuck out further than like my upper thighs and and calves, right? Like that's how I was built. And I wasn't particularly coordinated. I wasn't particularly athletic. I wasn't really great at sports. I was definitely someone who developed late Mm. uh, from that perspective. Um, Big but I was a puppy, but you had to grow into that. Yeah. Frame. And I was, but I was always willing to do the work. Like I was always the, I was that kid, even in middle school and early high school basketball player that was like skinny, but dirty. And I was always mm-hmm. elbowing people and grabbing jerseys and fucking diving on the floor for loose balls and whatever. Right. And, and just talking shit all, all day long. And that, that definitely carried over, you know, as I, got more athletic as I grew into my body a little bit. Then it, then it just like, it resonated with me. It's like, Oh shit, I can like back this up now to an extent, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it got worse, you know, in a lot of ways. And the, if I look at, you know, some of the things that happened in my life, especially through college, when I did run into injuries, you know, and, and, and part of that from an identity perspective, especially was taken away from me. Like I fell into a lot of other bad habits and I, we've talked about this personally and, And that was a big awakening for me as well, because I realized there wasn't a lot behind that for me, just personally, like I, I, I've, there wasn't much substance behind me just wanting to say, fuck you to people, you know, at that point in my life. So I've kind of tried to build that up a little bit, but I fell into like just a lot of bad choices. You know, I'm someone who was injured, but I was really asked to leave my college team Mm -hmm. and, and, and had to transfer universities at a point because of it as well, because of some of the problems I ran into and ended up graduating, but I never did anything athletically. I was always, I underachieved from that perspective incredibly. Um, And then when I got into, you know, we moved to New York and everybody, you know, coming from a small town in Missouri, they're like, all right, well, you're never going to make it. We'll see in a little bit. You know, I came from one of those kind of black hole towns where, or boomerang towns, as they call them. It's like, you leave, you come back, you know, that's what it is. Uh, And, and, the, the pettiness again, kind of drove me to make it, you know, especially because at that point, Sarah was the one who had the opportunity and I was tagging along completely. Like I just wanted to get out of Springfield, Missouri, you know, at that point in my life, I needed to realistically. And I didn't really have a plan. You know, I graduated and I got my, my CSCS and my CPT and, and kind of just went into the box gym world and realized I didn't know how to interact with like normal people at all as, as a former athlete. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's especially from a yeah. training perspective. It was, it was very it's different. A tough culture shift getting in, yeah. into Manhattan and dealing with and, Manhattanites. And I had to figure it out quickly. I mean, I got my first paycheck after two weeks of work and it was for like $67 or something. Like I was mm. literally just sitting there like, well, fuck, you know, I, I can't be the reason that, you know, we have to go home because we can't pay our rent. We can't do these things. And 
you know, at that point, it's like, I started watching the the successful trainers at my facility. I'm like, oh, they get here at five and they, they leave when they're, you know, at nine or whatever. And so I'm standing outside the door that next Monday at four 30 waiting for the gym to open. And, and that's the way it was for the next five years of my life. I worked seven days a week. Uh, I worked at 5 a.m. Monday through Friday. I worked at 7 a.m. when the gym opened on, on Saturday and Sunday. And I would plug 220 to 230 sessions a month, you know, at that point. And um, my goal was just to be the best. Like whatever list somebody had, I wanted to be at the top of it. And it didn't matter what that list even was from a productivity standpoint. I just wanted to be above the other people. And I just kind of always ran into that. And, you know, even moving back, starting my own business, you know, a lot of it was the same thing. Like, you know, I didn't have a lot of people that believed in me based on, based on some of those things or in my mind, probably again, more so in my mind, I think I create a lot of these things psychologically. That's the caveat for sure. I create my, I create my villains. I can relate. And, and, uh, and that was the thing. It's just like, I was going to make sure that it happened. I was going to build it up. And that doesn't mean I would go into things without a plan, but a lot of the motivation I've had in my life isn't to, I I don't know. It's not to get to an end point. I, I think there's not really a goal destination. It's just to prove to myself, prove to other people that I can get it done, you know? And I think there's a lot of that, that, that drives me in, uh, and I mean, again, it's like, I, I've gone to the point so far to, to try to figure myself out that I, I got a master's in psychology, partially just to try to figure out my own shit, right? You know, I mean, it's literally just, I'm a mystery to myself sometimes, mm. you know, and it, it's, it's a kind of a wild roller coaster a lot of the time. It's very difficult. And, you know, I, I really respect the honesty and the self-awareness that you show and talk about here pretty freely. And it's something that I feel like, you know, I, when I think about the way that a lot of people in the fitness industry talk or write or try to get a message across, there's a lot of fucking obnoxious platitudes, (laughs) you know, it's like a lot of like parroting sort of the acceptable zeitgeist Mm. of the times and just trying to fit in with whatever that is, not say the wrong thing, but say like the socially acceptable sort of a thing that's very superficial and very agreeable on a Mm -hmm. lot of points but really displays to me like no real depth of actual personal critical thinking or self-exploration and that immediately is something that like I just have a bad taste in my mouth with and it's such a common thing at this point in time where I'm like oh here we go again like you know and So I I can just relate to so much of what you just said from like the pettiness component. You know, I I really do think like there's so many people who are like, oh, just do it for yourself. You know, that's everything. And it's like, well, yes, sure. But like we are like a brain compares things Mm -hmm. like you're always comparing like you can't help but do that. That's just how things actually function. And it's like, I agree. Like, I want to be the fucking best. Like, I'm not here to be average. I'm definitely not here to be subpar. And I'm I'm willing to grind. I can remember when I was in high school just saying to myself, you know what? Like, the one thing that I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to allow anybody to be better conditioned than me in sports. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to lose because of that. Like, I'm going to come in and, like, I might get outskilled. I might have people that are just better athletes. 
but nobody's beating me because I'm not prepared. Mm -hmm. And I still feel very similar. Like if there's something that we're agreeing on, like, hey, we're going to do this thing. I am not going to be the person that comes in unprepared. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and like why, like you can go into the whys pretty damn deep mm -hmm. and it can get pretty murky. And sure, like ultimately for me, it's probably a sense of like very little control as a child in a very difficult scenario and me as trying to establish as many control points as I possibly can in life. And I probably utilize my anger very tightly with my control. I like being angry because oftentimes it fuels behaviors that tie themselves into control. So I'm kind of aware of those things, you know what I mean? And I, I can begin to detach from that and just like identify that I'm not just this feeling and I'm not just this attempt at control. But at the same time, it's kind of like, look, like I have goals and I want to use fuel to get to those goals. And it's like, it's a thin line. It's, it's none of this shit's easy. And, you know, it's like you just we're all going to make our mistakes and being comfortable with making those mistakes is a big part of it. I, you know, I just I just want to say, like, uh, I really just appreciate the answer. I really do. And um, and I just feel like there's so many masks that people wear and I appreciate the lack of them with you. Yeah. And I do just feel like I've always inherently just kind of liked you and gotten along with you. And I think that that's a big reason why, because I think you're a pretty friggin' authentic person. And uh, I don't see a tremendous amount of authenticity. This, this industry's tough, you know, and, and even like, yeah, going, going to what you said, I think, you know, even going back to the brain being a comparison machine, right. And that, that's something I've talked with people about as well. And, it's just like everything we do, it's all contrast, right? You and you, we, we look at outcomes, we look at even empirical things and data, like a lot of these things are so arbitrary without the context of something else, right? Whatever, really, whatever you're in direct competition with, and whether it's a task or, or task requirements or other people within that realm. And I think a lot of people inherently understand that, but are too afraid to, to actually say, no, I want to be better than this other person right and it's like that's where with this industry it, it is right it's like everybody like people are too scared to make posts that other people will disagree with right mm. you know and, and that's and that one that says a lot that one it says you're you're, you're really kind of soft and you don't believe in in what you're actually thinking anyway and two it also means that it's like okay well that means you also probably inherently have an inability to still have relationships or positive relationships with people that you disagree with, which is also a pretty big problem in a lot of ways. Like I don't agree with a lot of my friends on a lot of things. It has no bearing on our actual relationship mm -hmm. because a lot of, a lot of the shit doesn't matter that much, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, and, and that's something that I think I'm hyper aware of a lot of the times and probably sometimes even to my own detriment where I kind of realize that I exist in this, made up world of strength and conditioning, right? <laughs> Where it's just like, like, what is it? It's like, it's, it's this thing yeah. where like we, there's so much science and psychology and 
I mean, physics and math, like all the hard sciences are ingrained in this thing and it feels so real. But at the same time, it's also applied to like made up sports, right? More so than everything. Like it's this very weird dichotomy of things that I'm so passionate about, but also things that like when I step back, I realize it's like nobody else in my world is mm-hmm. like in my, you know, sometimes and I feel like I am kind of on an island where I'm just like, it's the the joke I always make with people is like, especially as, as a parent of kids that are getting older now, it's like the first PTA meeting you go to and all the parents are like, Oh, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Like, that's when you know, right. That you kind of live in this like made up thing that nobody else knows exists. Like it's this little right. subculture thing, right. Where yeah. you're like, Oh yeah, I'm a, you know, I I'm a CPA or, or whatever. I sell life insurance or whatever. Like everybody knows what these other like really established things are. Right. And then you're like, uh, I'm a strength coach or I'm a, I work in education. I just tell people I'm a fucking consultant now just because it, it cuts out the conversations Yeah, because I'm so sick. It's hard to have conversations with, with people who are also just stupid about the stuff that you're passionate about. Like that's when you're not getting paid to, I'll have them with clients all day long, but it's like when you're sitting at uh, having a beer in the, in the, you know, in the, the back of somebody's yard, it's really, it's difficult to have those conversations with people, you know? And, I, how do you, what, so you just tell people you're a consultant. I don't know what to tell people anymore. Yeah. I go, I just go, I lift weights. Yeah. I lift weights. That's, I, uh, it's my yeah. job. I'm yeah. a 40 year old man who lifts weights on the internet. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, so, uh, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I mean, if people are just like, oh, that's a thing, and you're like, yeah, yeah, man, pretty well too. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, it's this weird thing that nobody else knows about, right? And and it's just like, I'm a talking head on Instagram that lifts weights. Yeah, you know, (laughs) yeah. Some people hate me. Some people like me. It's just one. I get really pissed off about things like uh, what attachment to use for tricep exercises. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like how closely an exercise matches with someone's goals. And if someone disagrees with me, I just throw a total hissy fit. And And that causes me to earn money. Yeah, I'm I'm really passionate about load management. What are you passionate about, right? It's just like, what the (laughs) fuck, man? Like, this is is what we're doing, you know? Um, So it's, yeah, I mean, it's this hard thing, right? Where I... I try to take the, I take the industry seriously because I love it, but I try not to take myself too seriously within the industry. I, I think is, is the best way to probably put it because it's, especially that, like, you know, this too, like working with young coaches also really gives you this huge different perspective on it because it's like, I mean, we're both like, we're, we're older, we're older gentlemen, you know, in the industry and we've been in it for a while and, and seen some some different cycles and seasoned yeah see we're, we're seasoned right and, and it's like you'll see somebody now that you're like oh you're 23 and you're fucking pumped like you you're yeah. you're you're wearing that badge and you know people will get so immersed in into the culture it's like okay you know like this is your identity right yeah. this is who you are and I respect the the passion behind that, but I also understand that that's a dangerous place, you know? And I think, I think that's something that, um, you know, we, we try to get across with a young, a lot of young coaches where it's just like, man, like 
get, we need to get you a hobby or we need to get mm-hmm. you some friends that aren't in the industry. And, and they're like, oh, I, I have a, ho- I, I work out. And I was like, no, that's, that's your job too, man. Like, that's not what you do. You know, it's like, have you ever like played an instrument? You, you write, you read, you like whatever. And just something that'll get, you know, get them out of that world to an extent for a couple hours a week. Right. Where it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, one of the things that I've always appreciated about even like my wife and I's relationship is she, she is not in no way or shape or, or form in the industry. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. She's the most gen pop of gen poppy people you will, you will ever meet. She's actually like the perfect archetype for probably a client, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of, a lot of our coaches, which, which definitely helped me probably through the years as well as I was trying to like relate to normal people. Uh, but it's like, our friends, like, no, especially here now, like, I, like, I know some coaches and gym owners, but it's like our, our friends and the people we hang out with, like, they're not fitness people, which allows me to really dissociate from that world within my own social time, which for me is powerful because I'm definitely someone who is very all or nothing in a lot of ways. So if I don't have kind of a control group, <laughs> you know, outside of that, like I I'll get sucked into it and everything will turn into fitness. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've told several people that like, if Sarah was like just a, a female version of me, like I, it'd be a disaster most likely. Like, I, I don't know. Cause I have very little self-control in, in, when it comes to things like that. So that like, she provides a lot of the awareness probably for me from that perspective. It's, mm. it's like, even like the, the kids, it's like, my kids don't know what I do. They think I work out for money. Like they still like, you know, it's just like, they like, Oh yeah. Like that, like they, they haven't dissociated working out from work. So they mm-hmm. think I'm like at the gym all day while they're at school. And I'm like, no, I'm sitting in front of a computer. This is right. what I, like, this is what I literally do. Right. So it, it's, it's a weird thing. You know, I, I do want to talk to you about the mentorship stuff because, you know, I, I've, I've adopted a similar approach. Mm-hmm. Like, and it is similar because I sort of saw you doing that. And I was like, this is a good business model. And I think that I might fit well with mm-hmm. doing my own version of whatever yeah. that kind of comes out to. And, um, you know, a little bit about my experience with it is I really try to make it like I got a 10 week thing. I think you do mm-hmm. similar timeline. Yeah. And I have sort of a central assignment that they have to do throughout the whole thing. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of being a professor again, because the dropout rate and the number of people that actually provide that do a quality job is just like abysmally low. And it starts off with everybody there on day one. And then within three weeks, it's like, you know, you've culled the herd down to like Mm -hmm. a few people. And then it's just like the same small group that Mm -hmm. gets it, that keeps doing it. So, you know, overall, I would just say that it's kind of like everybody says that they want these empowering experiences that provide them with autonomy and tools and skills until they actually get a taste of it. and, And it's time to do the work or to take the stairs, if you will. And, you know, then there's a lot of people that just want the escalator. And it's like, I don't even know what the escalator is. Like, I'm trying to give it to you, but like, what, so what are your thoughts? Similar, different? uh, And if it's similar, what the hell is going on with this? Very similar. And we're, I mean, this was our 14th cohort. So Mm -hmm. 
we, we've got a decent like sample size, you know, going to this point. And, and it's the same thing. It's, you know, week one, call one, you got 75 to hundred people on a fucking zoom call, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many black squares that you're like sorting through three screens, trying to figure out what's going on. And by week three, you got 15, Yep. you know, and, and, you know, I kind of appreciate that because it does like, it does the work for me a lot of times of knowing like, Oh, like these are the people that I'm going to actually answer on the discord channel. These are the people who are going to be engaged. And, and, it, and at first it, it was very discouraging and, you know, it, I, I tried to save everybody. I'd reach out to them and be like, Hey, like what's going on? Like, can we do something better? Like whatever we need your feedback. And I really kind of realized early on that it was, it was just very similar to what you're describing is like a lot of people, they want the idea of autonomy because they don't really know what autonomy is. They don't realize that autonomy is, Oh, I have to make the decisions. I have to do the work. Someone's not just going to tell me what to do now. Right. I don't, I don't get to follow the algorithm, you know, so to speak. And, and very few people actually want autonomy, like on even like getting into like entrepreneurship, right? Like, entrepreneurship is hard as fuck and it is not for everybody. Like we see this all the time, like going and and working for an organization and being told what you, what to do and collecting a check like that is easy. That's what a lot of people actually want in, Mm -hmm. in their life, in my experience. And, and I think that's where, you know, everybody kind of wants that grass is greener with like, Oh, like I want the freedom and I want this. And it's like not like that that's not what this is you know this means you make the hard decisions somebody doesn't make them for you you have to do the work not somebody it's not a group project where somebody else is going to do their part and then tell you what to do and give you feedback like your feedback is did this thing sell or did it not did I make enough money to pay my expenses and whatever or did I not right like that's the hard feedback that's the real world and and that's something that I, I kind of discovered early on in this process too, is a lot of people they're like, Oh yeah. Like I, I want, I want critical feedback. I want to expand my knowledge and expand my, my base and, and, and really like dig deep and do like the fuck you do. Like, you don't want to dig deep. You want me to tell you you're really good at what you like. You want me to pat you on the butt and send you on your way. Like, that's what you want from me. And I'm honestly just not that person, you know? And, and and Matt, and I'm the fucking good cop in our group. Matt, Matt is definitely not that person, you know? So it's like, it, we'll definitely, like, we have people that like, we'll see them in the first call in the first week and we won't see them for the entire rest of the time. Yeah. And, and what, and, what, why would you spend that money? Like, yeah. it blows my mind. I'm like, there's gotta be a mistake here. They're going to ask for a refund. Like, oh no. And they just don't, they just they're, go, they're hey, kind they of too, I think they're too shamed to, to even ask for a refund at that point because yeah. they know, right. They, yeah. they know um, that, you know, they, they wanted to pay you X amount of money for validation that they hadn't earned, you know, at the end of the day. And the, the earning aspect of it is, is what I respect the most, you know, probably within mm-hmm. that process. And, you know, what we've done is cause we kind of started with one big project too. And <sighs> basically so we could check in on people more often we basically created it like a three-part series of case studies on different populations Mm. and that at least gives us kind of a three six nine week milestone check off right and 
And I mean, again, like the thing that Matt and I have discovered with this, and we, we kind of talk about it a lot, especially in, in the age that, you know, over COVID, these things were, you know, the, the groups popped up and a lot of them were like biomechanics groups within our little niche within this larger niche. So it's like, you know, we, we got people that come into this, that can tell you every origin insertion and in, in the, in the, every tuberosity in the body. Right. And you're, and you're like, okay, like that, that's cool. Like, you, you know, biomechanics, you know, how the body moves, whatever. And they couldn't program themselves out of a wet paperback. Like we see these programs and they, they, they're beyond bad. Like they, there's no rhyme or reason. Like somebody could have just copied the OPT model down on a piece of paper and it would have been a hundred times better than this. Right. Because they're trying to take complex things that the people they follow on social media and add them into these programs. And it's like, I can pick it out. Like, I'm like, oh, that's, that's a, that's a pat thing, or that's a so-and-so thing or whatever. But the way that they're applying these things together makes no sense. Mm. Right. And, and there's no progression model attached. Like, the, like even looking week to week, you're like, I, like this exercise just fucking disappeared after one week. I don't even know where yeah. this went, you know? And yeah, it I'll doesn't make something. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with you. And that's why I wanted to make the current mentorship thing that I'm doing because it's a program design slash training model mentorship. And it's kind of like, hey, I know that a lot of people have gotten pretty decent at understanding what maybe a proper exercise is or a little bit more targeted, whatever the hell. But what are you doing with these things? Like, are you just throwing them out there like why do they exist do you know how to organize them do you have guiding principles Mm. that tell you what to do with them and um no yeah and it's and this is something that again like we've talked about it i've talked with other coaches about it they kind of host you know similar things as well and it's like (laughs) i was always like we all know each other like we, we fucking hang out at the same places. Um, and, and that's where like, for me, it's just like, I, I don't know if I think COVID in general and the inability to work with people in person has actually set a lot of young coaches back in a mm. major way. Right. And it's like, I saw this with my kids. Like when you, you saw kids who couldn't be in classrooms for two years, like their social skills, like deteriorate. Yeah. Right. Like they, like they were all kind of stunted from a social perspective, right. From this. And and you're still kind of seeing it come over from a physical and athletic, not being able to play sports. Like you see it as well. I was actually talking to one of my, my kids, basketball coaches this morning about it. And he's like, yeah, like you just don't have the physical development If we're looking at, you know, fifth graders compared to like fifth graders five years ago, it's not even close. Mm. It's right. Like that. But at the same time, it's like the kids had access to YouTube. So they're trying shit that they were watching. They just have never done it in a game. So it's not, they're not executing anything. Right. And, and I think there's, there's probably a parallel with coaching there where it's like, okay, well, we had access to YouTube and, and social media. So I've learned all these concepts, but I haven't learned context and I haven't learned application. I haven't learned the difference between optimal versus realistic in, in a lot of cases. Right. And and I think that's where a lot of coaches now they can they can talk a really good game about coaching and theorize about programs and, and exercise selection and, and these applications. 
but it's like anyone who's been in a gym on a gym floor with a hundred other people or had to share space with 10 other coaches or had a client who habitually came in 15 minutes late or had a, a program disrupted because it's like, oh, my person's, you know, training frequency is, you know, two out of three sessions at best, you know, a lot of the times realizes that it's like, okay, like you have this plan, but it's never going to work like in real life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where there's a lot of coaches who kind of got flooded with all these concepts and they really dove deep, which isn't a bad thing, but they never got to actually test these things out. They, they never got to see, you know, one, does this fit my demographic and their goals or whatever? Does this fit the environment I actually train in? And can I actually teach these things to somebody who's not another coach, right? right. Like, it, I, I, I always tell a story to our group because it's, I think it's very relevant to a lot of people. And this was like, right when I was coming out of like, you know, FMS to date myself and probably put this like 2007 or eight or somewhere in there. And one of my, my clients, I spent 55 minutes of an hour session trying to teach a single leg RDL. And she completed probably seven reps in that 55 minutes. Right. And it was, it was like on paper, that was the right progression. And I was so stubborn and so rigid that I just kept hammering it. And and it's like, I wasn't giving her different exercise selections. I, I, I wasn't understanding that it's just like at this point, like she's so frustrated that this is never going to work out. Right. It's just like, it wasn't a good movement for this person but it was the next thing on the exercise checklist from what, you know, that I'd been handed sure, right, in my yeah. weekend seminar. And by the end of the, by the end of the session, it's like, she felt terrible. I felt terrible. Like I literally felt like I bullied her for an hour and I was the worst coach on the planet at the same time. And, and I apologize. Like I, I wrote her a text, like after my next client, and I was just like, Hey, like that was terrible. I apologize. Your next session's on me, whatever. And, and we got over it, but it's just like, I could have done so many different things in that session to still have a productive session, but I didn't understand like the concept of just, again, her perception of what we were doing, her inability to kind of grasp it in my head. It's like, it's a single leg RDL. Like this is, this is easy, right? This is level two shit. Like you should be able to do this, right? it's the next thing you progressed into it. It's the model that we're, we're covering. She couldn't get it. She just couldn't get it. And I was too rigid to think of an alternative or find a better constraint or, or whatever. Right. You know, you got it. The experience matters so much that I think a lot of people are discounting that as well. And everybody wants to go to that pendulum and be like, well, not all experience matters, like only good experience. Yeah. I'm not saying experience is the only thing that matters. I'm not saying information is the only, like there's a sweet spot and nobody wants to be in the middle and talk about the sweet spot because that's not divisive enough or whatever, you know, and it's just, but you see it really quickly on both sides when somebody's lacking one or the other. You know, I see a lot of this stuff as, you know, there's like multiple Venn diagram pieces that are all related to one another. And they, you know, there's a shifting of these things that happen in live time. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. and like everything kind of matters, but it only matters in relation to everything else. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, 
we all have these models that we work from in our heads and there should be more than one model that you've been exposed to. And when people have fewer models and they don't have experience with really working with those models, then they don't have that contextual understanding of when to pivot, when to shift gears, when to, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's kind of like, ultimately, I think that that is just narrowness and lack of, of total understanding. And it's just part of the process. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and one of the things that I love that you said earlier is kind of like, hey, you know, you should treat what you're doing pretty seriously. Like you better be, if you don't care, then it's, mm. that's a huge deal. But at the same time, you also have to have the humility to be like, do I really know everything? Of course not. Okay. Can I step back from this, laugh at myself for a second and have a bigger, broader ability to just look at a greater reality than what I've been like kind of myopically focused on right now. And to me, I, I, I think that that is what kind of causes people to get into their own way is they burrow in. It's almost like some World War I trench warfare kind of a thing where it's like, uh, I'm in this trench. I'm not going anywhere. I am absolutely going to batten down the hatches and prepare for an onslaught, you know? And it's kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, first of all, you're just dealing with a human body that you're trying to apply some stress to so that you can make this thing adapt. And different kinds of stressors are going to make it adapt in some different ways. And, you know, ultimately, if you're aware of some of these different kinds of adaptations that are occurring as a result of specific kinds of stressors, it just sort of like, oh, okay, this is the biggest of big pictures, all right? And I have options within these things. And I'm going to try to find the right option at this point in time. And there probably is no perfect option. There's just kind of like maybe moving a little bit closer towards optimal for this particular person at this particular time. But there's probably a few of these things that just I could slide in, slide out. And so it's it's just sort of like there's there is no right answer. You know, I I I, I spoke with Mike Isertel recently and kind of going into the uh, you know there's many ways to skin the cat, you know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, there probably are more efficient ways to skin the cat. And if you can systematically understand cat skinning, you know what don't, I mean? Don't use a and, butter knife. Yeah. Like utilize <laughs> just appropriate procedures and have, yeah. so to me, it's kind of like the systematic approach mm -hmm. is such the big deal. And like the pursuit of the system is really your best priority rather than getting so bogged down into some of these, like, you know, again, kind of from an analogy standpoint, like talking from it from the perspective of like, Hey, and, and Mike kind of brought this up as well. Like thinking about it from like, Hey, I want to run an auto plant that can like produce cars and like people are getting really like specific and moody about like, what kind of tires or what sorts of yeah. wheels or doors or something like that. And it's like, I don't really give that much of a shit about the specific doors. Like I'm trying to create the most efficient auto plant to be able to produce automobiles. Like 
you know, these things kind of, they all make sense in some way, shape or form. And there's a window of operation and this is acceptable within that window. And as long as I'm kind of in here, it's fine. If I deviate too much, it's going to cause some downstream effects, blah, blah, blah. But like appreciating that as opposed to becoming, because I, I do just look at like, I think that there's a lack of an understanding of an entire gigantic super system that tends to be the problem in most people's minds. You know what I mean? And what happens with that is that now they identify with a kind of model. You know what I mean? And oftentimes only one model or they even can identify with exercises and have that be the thing. And it's like, whoa, like you're unable to actually appreciate the super system here that has options and like, okay, yes, like uh, this implement for getting after this muscle group. Sure. I get what you're saying, but like, it's really like kind of unimportant from a bigger picture perspective of like, I, you haven't even plugged in an activity that would develop aerobic system capabilities. Like this is, this is a 0.5 in importance (laughs) compared to you're missing a 20.5 in importance. So it's, it's a very difficult thing, but I do think that ultimately those are the things that I'm seeing as exposure points Mm -hmm. where it's almost like there's people that they, it's almost like you're, they're picking things out of the ether and it's like, Oh, I I have this like one concept that I'm uh, hyper obsessed about right now. And this is the end all be all. And it's kind of like a lack of appreciation of like, oh, this one concept is actually just this one drop down box in a spreadsheet. And the whole spreadsheet's actually the thing that matters. Yeah. You know, and you're like kind of unaware of the whole spreadsheet. Like you're only interested in box A27. Yeah. It's it's like the the people who get the deeper somebody gets into the minutiae of any of these models. Like for me, it's like a red flag of like how little they understand the model as a whole, right? Because those are the people, even going back to talking about, you know, the people who want autonomy, but actually don't want, those are the people that need to be told what to do. And instead of making decisions, they just dig deeper into details to the point where they're no longer applicable, right? And and it's almost like this... It's, it's this paralysis by analysis, like model, right? Where it's like, oh, I can't, it's like, it's like the, the parable of perfectionism, right? Where it's like, I can't do this thing until I have it absolutely perfect. I understand every little bit of this thing. Meanwhile, those people never do anything, right? It's like, just like they're just like, they're, at, at some point, like they've got like a lens with a lens and a lens and they've got like the tiniest tweezers possible. And they're literally trying to like, you know, zoom into something that no longer is 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 like the atomic level of the master spreadsheet right like you're talking about it and you're just like this is you're you're so much better off just like having a general direction at that point and jumping in and being okay with making mistakes and learning from those things because those the, the mistakes are what provide the context right that that's what provides the contrast that we're actually looking for it's like okay well this didn't work so i need to go in a different direction right or why didn't it work what can i what can i change about this thing and anytime it's like when I see the people who are so ingrained in one specific model, 
it's like you're you're choosing not to critically think at that point like it's it's cool to understand a model and be interested in a model but it's like to to really understand a model is to also understand its limitations right like at, at that point you have to see both sides it's like reading research without looking at the limitations right you know it's just like okay like uh, you have to under, like, what's, what's the opposite of this? Like what, what other models exist? What, mm. what context and circumstances do those things work? Right. It's right. like, I see people all day long, like trashing models. And I'm like, have, did you, did you take a course? Yeah. Do you know anything about this? Have you ever used it? Or you just not like it because somebody told you not to like it? Like what, like, what are we talking about here in reality? Uh, and that's, that's, you know, part of the unfortunate aspect of, you know, social media is anybody can say anything and be called an, an expert, you know, and, and call themselves an expert. And it's like, you whether they have experience in what they're talking about or not, nobody knows. It's like the, the old joke. And it's like, you can call yourself a doctor on social media. Nobody will background check you. You, you know, it's like, uh, you can put it in your, in your name and just block anyone who disagrees. You know, it's like, these people like they'll they'll make broad statements and they'll you know be divisive in that way but it's like you don't actually have education or experience practicing this thing how do you know it doesn't work right and how do you know this other thing that you're promoting works that much better right maybe you're actually leaving a lot of progress or potential uh, outputs on the table like completely in your own training and the training of your Mm -hmm. clients because of that so when you think about like what really matters for your training and the training of people that you, you work with, like what, what are some of the big things that you kind of think about and, and make sure you plug in there? Yeah. So, I mean, the, I think probably the easiest way to even describe it is kind of talk through my process of developing, you know, what a program would look like for somebody. And, you know, first off, you know, the, before I understand, before I actually do like an assessment on somebody, I have to know, you know, why the assessment matters, right? So I'm going to look at the person, I'm going to look at the task they're pursuing, right? Just their, their, their goal parameters. And, and then I'm going to look at their ability respective to those things, right? If somebody wants to be a sprinter, there are some key physical and physiological aspects that matter for that thing, right? If they want to be an endurance runner or a basketball player, same thing. If they want to walk down steps without their knees hurting. Same thing, right? There's going to be some key things, some key components that I'm going to need to be able to assess from that person. So at that point, I'm going to look at those task requirements, whatever they may be, the subset, and I'm going to measure that person's ability respective to that thing, right? Because that is the goal. Uh, and, and I think that's where in the past, like I would have tried to plug in probably more, more of my goals or my bias for those people, and I still might do that as secondary considerations, but the goal is going to be the goal for this person, you know, regardless of, you know, what it is. And I'm going to realize really quickly, it's like, okay, like what, what do, what can I actually influence through training? And that's going to be the training. So their ability respective to task requirements is going to be what I'm training. And for some people that might be, you know, more ankle stiffness or more elasticity or a bigger aerobic base or just more global strength and the ability to produce force, right? Like those, those things might all matter. None of them might matter, you know, depending on, on who I'm working with. So my key tenants are probably more conceptual on the fact that, you know, I'm not, I don't necessarily have, 
broad concepts that are going to be important for every single person outside of the goal is going to determine and give context to what's going to be important to this individual. Um, but I mean, uh, so what's kind of like a description of the most common person that you tend to work with at this point? So at this point I work with a lot of field sport athletes and mm-hmm. probably like, I don't want to say endurance athletes, probably endurance athletes at, at that point. Right. So aerobic capacity, right. And their, their ability to do those things is going to be important, but at the same time, like I get a lot of endurance athletes where you know, their aerobic capacity is not the rate limiter. Their ability to produce and resist force is their rate limiter, right? Like they, they break down biomechanically over time because they're not strong enough, mm. you know, right? So again, mostly, it's like- Mostly runners or cyclists or- I, I've got a couple of tri- triathletes, but mostly yeah. runners at yeah. that point. And, and so the high impact stuff, especially, right? Yeah. You know, where you start looking at, you know, we want to call it like biomechanical breakdown, you know, or whatever, or technique, right. From, from a gate perspective or locomotive perspective, for me, it's like, I look at this and it's like, well, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're gate and your running analysis look great for five minutes and you're breaking mm. down and, you know, mile, mile 17, 18, 19 of, of your marathon, whatever. That's not a biomechanics issue. That's capacity issue, right? From that standpoint, right? So it's like I need to figure out at that point what their rate limiter is based to their technical breakdown or, or what's happening at the the foot, ankle, hip, knee, whatever. Um, you know, so it's like at that point, same thing with the field sport athlete. Like, if I'm dealing with a soccer player, right? It's like I need to be able to have again quite a bit of capacity, but also the ability to to run at a lot of different speeds and change that speed frequency, decelerate, make cuts, right? I need to also be able to have a tactical component of implementing skill into that, right? Into that process too. And same thing, like I work with a rugby player. Okay, now we're adding that, we're adding physical contact and being able to withstand physical contact into that aspect of things, right? So all of these things, uh, even within these subsets, like there's a lot of, qualities but but again they are individualized to the point of like i need to understand what that individual athlete's rate limiter is respective mm-hmm. to their being able to perform when you get these runners that kind of break down over time and you were sort of saying that it's oftentimes a strength thing or a capacity mm-hmm. thing what sorts of stuff like do you find yourself doing with them that seems to be helping again a lot of them are <laughs> This is definitely a population, especially with endurance athletes that have been historically very adverse to any strength training. Yeah. Um, and, and and part of it is, again, maybe it's uh, an, just a, an overall time efficiency perspective. A lot of them are also deathly afraid of putting on weight if they're competitive yeah. at all. Um, you know, so so a lot of what we look at is the lowest hanging fruit is actual strength training, the ability. And, and I look more so not just at basics, your, you know, we're basics, talking just like, man, like two foot squat, two foot deadlift, bench press, row, yeah, pull-ups, things like that. Unilateral work too. Again, just to, again, get them to be able to like, what I'll usually look at is kind of bilateral power and unilateral strength. If that okay. makes sense for a lot of them. So where, what do you do for bilateral power? Like jumping? So we'll, so we'll be looking at, yeah, some, some jumps, some throws, um, the occasional like 
loaded jump from a trap bar jump perspective or something of mm-hmm. that nature. Um, I, I do occasionally with them again, depending on who it is and what they need, like quarter squats, you know, things like that from, you know, a pin, right. Where they can f- really focus on concentric power from that perspective and the ability to produce force. And then everything else from a unilateral perspective is more so looking at being able to shift, being able to rotate, but also being able to resist force, you know, from mm-hmm. that perspective and build a little bit of tissue. So we'll get a little more eccentric focus, a little more mm-hmm. isometric kind of focus on that. Split squat, single leg deadlift kind of a deal. Yeah, stuff like that. Just alternating upper body movements again, just getting ribcage moving. Because that's when you start seeing people fatiguing as well. You know, we've talked about this way back in the day. It's like they become more satchel, right? It's like the you see the more complex things kind of drop and you see people yeah. get real stiff when they get tired. And, and you see it with a runner in the last quarter of their race. You see it in a basketball player in the fourth quarter. Like the more deconditioned guys, the more fatigued guys turn into worse movers. Mm. More often, I say guys, guys are women. They turn into worse movers most of the time, right? That's like, I marvel at like Seth Curry. And I think that's one of the reasons he's so good is man, you see him in the fourth quarter and he's moving differently than everybody else on that court still. Yeah, he's still making crossover moves. He's just still able to change the direction. Like, rotate. Yeah. yeah. You know, you see you see the fluidity, right? And you'll see it with runners as well. Like the the people who do really well, they're able to maintain that throughout and they don't get stiff, they don't get extended, they don't, you know, mm. they don't tighten up from that perspective. Right. And, and I think that's, there, there's a little bit, probably, you know, energy conservation that's, that's built into that um, and the body trying to kind of protect. Um, but if you yeah, can build sure. somebody's drop capacity, off, yeah. Drop off degrees of freedom, drop off planes, yeah. uh, extend, go forward, push through the back, yeah. you know, just yeah, it's simpler. It. Yeah. Less complex, mm-hmm. but ultimately probably going to run out of options. Yeah. It, it's when you see somebody, you know, it's, it's always funny. It's like, if you're watching a race, if you're, if you're interested in track and field at all, like I ran the 400 and you will see that as soon as you see somebody go like fully chest out and up, they're done. Yep. Like they are on their last legs. Like you see it, you know it, that is their bodies. Basically, like you just said, their, their last attempt to push themselves forward in space and they're no longer running on mechanics. They're no longer fluid. They're literally just trying whatever they can to get there, you know, that to, to complete whatever goal, the finish line to get there as quickly as possible. But they're, they're slowing down as somebody else is speeding up at that point, or at least slowing down at a lesser rate is probably a better, yeah, better terminology there. But, but you see it all the time. You see it at any race. I mean, not as much at the hundreds, but 200, 400, 800 mile, any distance stuff. When you see people trying to come through and kick at the end, like you'll see some people that are able to run and stride and rotate a little bit. And you'll see other people that are just stiff extended and you see very little movement you know right. from that perspective yeah it's like a windmill up top <laughs> and like a a falling you know what i mean they're just and, catching and they're, themselves from falling and windmilling in the process and there's no worse feeling yeah right because as the as the athlete i mean it's you know yeah and there's you nothing know. you can do it's like being there's a fighter nothing. when you're so yeah. tired you can't keep your hands up and you're like oh no i'm gonna get punched <laughs> in the face 
oh no and like i literally can't hold my hands i off. can't get my hands up yeah it's it's like the athlete knows right they just yeah. know you know so it's, it's definitely something where you know I'll, I'll look at you know it's it's more individualized but it's broader concepts like i'll look at bilateral power just because it's the most efficient way for most of these people to produce, mm-hmm. be able to produce power right i if i'm looking at power especially from like a velocity or maximal output perspective i want the simplest exercise choice possible i'm i'm going to be doing probably a version of a bilateral squat whichever one they can do the most efficiently and like a trap bar deadlift you yeah. know at that point right and as I get into trying to build capacity and tissues and, and being able to drive a more eccentric, you know, component to that, then I can get into things that are a little more complex. I can get into a little more volume. I can get into single leg movements. I can get into more, more upper body stuff, especially with my runners. I don't do a lot of upper body power outside of like med ball work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not as important um, for most of them. Uh, so I will work more. So especially because they're not necessarily sprinters. There's probably more importance with the sprinter there as far as being able to generate arm swing and, and kind of, especially like lat swing. Um, but if I get into like the, the endurance guys, like a lot of it is just being able to regain movement of a rib cage and getting arms and scapulas to do opposite things. And med, med balls are amazing, time. man. Med balls like, are great. They really are. When you really just watch different throws, they build in so many concepts mm-hmm in ways that you don't really have to think too much about, like, you know, you throw somebody into half kneeling with a foot towards the wall up or the foot away from the wall up. And in one instance, you're building like kind of the IR component of really Mm -hmm. driving the ball to the wall. In the other one, you're really building, getting over that other side and great. You just watch it and you're like, Oh my God, everything's built into it. It's all built in, you know, with these, lunging throws it's kind of like oh there's this late propulsion sort of a thing finishing through the yeah. big toe uh landing in a really good early stance yeah. kind of a thing like negative shin angle plantar flat like all of this stuff you're kind of like oh it's all embedded in there this it's, is great and people like it yeah. and it's you fun. get a sweat yeah. and you're training these ballistic activities and you're, it's it is loaded with qualities that you're like oh my goodness this is this is really it and it's it's something that just is kind of enjoyable which goes a long way yeah. for a lot of people it, it's funny man it's I, I again as someone who's been an athlete their entire lives has been training for longer than I haven't been at this point in my life I don't know if I'd ever loaded my left hip until you taught me that scoop throw Mm. right you know like that's the first time like i felt that on my left and i was like oh what what the fuck is that like i just shouldn't yeah. like like i don't think i'd ever gotten into like full like posterior hip capsule you right. know and, until i actually did that and was able to propel out of it and yeah it's like it happened just swinging the ball yeah you know and you're just like oh yeah it's like if you just you give yourself a constraint and you give yourself a movement like and you don't overthink it your, your body's going to do some things, you know? And I think that's, you look at med balls, you look at, you know, easy little things like extensive plyometrics and skips and bounds and, and stuff. And, you know, you have somebody do them and they're ugly for a week or two. And then you're like, it's cleaning up without much mm-hmm. coaching, right? Like people will kind of self-organize into how the body is supposed to work. And, you know, and it's, it doesn't require a lot of instruction, or a lot of coaching. If you just let people kind of figure it out and 
And I think that's where, again, like things have changed for me a lot and kind of where like remote coaching so much has been a blessing is I can't sit there and queue. I just got to pick better exercises for yeah. people. Man. Like I, it's like, I, I got to pick something. I know this person can do fairly well. I could uh, and, not agree more with that. You, like, know, and when, you know, so it's like all part I'll of the get, reason I like teaching seminars still, because yeah. I have to meet people for the first time and get them to do concepts properly. <laughs> and the only way I can do that is to number one, have a really good system that guides yeah. me towards better exercise selection so that because there's nothing worse than when you're up in front of a bunch of people that are looking at you for the first time yeah. and you're like taking 15 minutes to get this person to do, to like find their hamstrings or yeah. something. And, and you're like, like oh, I swear if they just did it right, it would it, be better. Yeah. But it's like, and, and we've all seen that where it's like, oh, this is embarrassing. Yeah. So it's got to be like, this is, look, like they're going to feel it. Trust me. Like yeah. they can't, they cannot screw this up. Like this is dummy proof. Like this, yes. this, this. That's what gets me excited too. Honestly, like people get excited about things, you know, complicated drills. Oh, Oh, we're going to do this rolling arm bar with the kettlebell, with the knee going here. And it's going to give me hip ER and IR and turn rib cage. And I'm like, man, ain't nobody I work with going to do that right the first (laughs) time. That is so complicated. Like what's happening here? I'm like, what's the, the idiot version of this thing? Yeah because that's probably going to work better, you know? And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, I get so much more excited about the most boring thing. I think that's part of just turning into an old man. Like I really, first of all, I want the Kyle Dobbs get off my lawn segment to come back. I I, I started, I I started that before I even got like old, old like that. that, That was like back in the Facebook days. Those were the good days, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's uh yeah. Look, I, I know that we're kind of getting towards that end point from a timing perspective on this. Um, you know, I, what I'd love to be able to kind of close with is like, you know, what what are you excited about going forward? What's what's sort of next for Kyle Dobbs and, and where can people find more about you and, and really plug themselves into your world? Yeah, I mean, everything is on, first and foremost, the site, which is just compoundperformance.com. Um Really social media wise, Instagram is our next is kind of our, our biggest platforms. We're do a little bit on, on other platforms, but not much. We're trying to get more into the YouTube game just so we have something that's not controlled by, you know, meta, I guess at that point, uh, it has a little more SEO to it, but that's hard. There's only so much time to dedicate to stuff like that, you know? So that that's where you can find all of our stuff. We do remote coaching. Uh, we do some, some train alongs and some gr- larger group things. Uh, we're actually moving our mentorship into a membership that's evergreen um, starting this next round, just because we're honestly, we're sick of teaching the same thing over and over and over. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's something where for us, we want to be able to get into some more progressive things based on the curriculum that we've been doing. Um, I, we can only talk about physics for so many, so many quarters in a row uh, in, in the pelvis, you know, so we want to get into talking more about, you know, case studies, talking more into training, talk, getting more guest speakers in, you know, getting, getting more engagement from that perspective as well. And having something that's a little more, um, with a little more depth to it that we can get a little more personal with. Um, and then from, from the, the other business that we run from an app perspective, um, 
that's all just really trainer focused right now, but we're building out the team concept as well. And that should be launching in July. We've got some bugs to still work out. Um, yeah. I've learned a lot through the development process on this over the last almost 10 months and it's, it's getting there. Uh, but we want to eventually also move that out into gym management software and corporate wellness, you know, over the next mm-hmm. 12 to 18 months. Right. So that's, there's a lot of big plans for that. We're excited about that. That's where a lot of my, you know, kind of free time is dedicated from that perspective. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what's next. You know, it's the, the training I still love, but I'm also interested in making just an impact at a larger level, you know, at this point too. And, and from a career perspective, there's kind of a shift from, from going on from there. So that, that will probably be really where I'm at in, in 2023 as far as where I spend most of my time. Well, it was a pleasure for me to be able to catch up with you. Always. I, you know, it reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, the old kind of circle we had in New York where yep. we would only see each other at seminars in other states or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? But it's kind of like I, I do feel like you I, what I'm learning quite a bit is how, it takes a lot of effort to really grow friendships and to continue mm-hmm. those things and and finding opportunities to talk with peers and to just hear what people are up to, I, I really am enjoying this process. And, um, you know, I love picking your brain and seeing what you're up to. And also just kind of catching up, man, because I really do appreciate you as a person. I always have. And uh, I'm hoping that at some point in the near future, we can again kind of hang out in person because it's been a long, long time. And um, yeah, so... It's, it's been really good, Kyle. I, I just want to thank you for your time. Just let hey. you know that I'm deeply appreciative of it. And likewise, no, no questions asked. And we'll definitely meet up. No doubt, man. All right.